As we continue this series, we find ourselves wrestling with this reality. Wrestling with how do we embrace this call that God invites us into to live as his unique people? How do we go deeper? How do we recognize in the world in which we live that the practices of our daily life often don't lead us to the place where we want to go? But what we find is in this season, this embracing these spiritual disciplines helps us to recognize the call to begin to pray as we just saying, Lord, I need you. And I look forward next week to seeing many of you here and, and those of you who are joining us online next week as well. We're glad. I want to be clear, if there's ever any question, it is okay to wonder, to wrestle, to feel like I, I can't go because of what's going on in the world around us. That is okay. Please know today you are equally loved, that there is no pressure to join in this room, but we know for many um, you have a deep need for that right now. And you aren't, aren't probably in the category of most vulnerable. But we want to pray for those who are. We want to pray for what's going on in our world around us. And we want to pray, most importantly, that God is present. So we pray with me. Father, we pray in these moments that we would hear your voice speak. That you would be near to us in a way that changes everything. We know right here, right now, that we sometimes feel so lost. We turn on the news or get on social media, we see so much division we unfortunately see your church speaking in ways and we're not sure if it's about your church or politics. And so we pray today that your church will be united in the recognition that Jesus is Lord. We'd recognize our need for confession, which we'll talk about today. We'd recognize that the world in which we live is fractured and broken and sinful but we would bear witness to the love of God seen in his son. And so we pray that we would not be wrapped up in politics. We'd recognize that neither the Republican Party nor the Democratic Party represent God's kingdom. We'd recognize that there are really good people on every side of every issue. And so as your church, we want to be discerning and loving and gracious. And so I pray today that you might speak, that somehow through these words that I shared, they would be your voice, that we would hear that somehow that only you can do, we might find ourselves connected to you in a way that changes everything. And so Father, we pray all this in your son Jesus' name. Amen. So um, we're in the middle of this series on spiritual disciplines, this idea of spiritual practices. We call it spring training. How do we do this? And so I was thinking back about training. And when I was... Um, just a senior in high school, right before I went to college, our, uh, I was invited by a guy named Ernie Thompson. And Ernie went to my high school. He's several years older than me. I say several because he sometimes tunes in. So um, I hope he heard that I said he's several years older than me. But Ernie played high school football at our high school. And then he went and played at Indiana University. And then he played in the NFL for a couple of years. And so by the time I met Ernie, he had done all that and was working as a personal trainer. And so Ernie invited me and a couple other athletes to train with him. And so he, it was a pretty cool thing for me, and I felt pretty honored to go. And so we started working out together, and, and he began to train me, and I, I began to get in better shape, and I learned all kinds of stuff. And then there was the time we went to the weight room. And we went to this weight room, and, and we went to bench press, which is like the, the guy equivalent of like whatever you guy does in the weight room, because, you know, you've got to bench press. That's what we do. And so Ernie 
um, put some weight on the bar, or I, or I put some weight on the bar, I put a plate on each side. If you go to the gym, you know a plate is 45 pounds, and you know that's kind of like the guy minimum. You don't really put less than that, because to put less than that is just not a great thing, so you try to make sure you get at least that much on there before you do anything. Ernie goes, I, I think that's too much. I'm like, Ernie, this is a warm-up set, man. I'm fine. He goes, not for what we're about to do. And I, I just looked at Ernie and I said, um, I, think, I think I'll be okay. He goes, no, <laughs> I don't think he will, but, but we'll leave it. What I didn't know, because he didn't tell me this part up front, was that we were going to do sets at like between five and ten seconds each. Each rep was going to take that long. So what I came to quickly realize as I finished that first set was, no, much less weight would have been a great idea. I thought I was going to die. See, what Ernie wanted me to understand in that moment was there was a different way to do what I had done before. Just because I had done it before didn't mean I knew the only way. And that's really what this practice, this practice of confession, is about. Often we think the only way I have to confess is just between me and Jesus. I'm just going to tell him and we're going to be good. But this is the reality for us that often we learn new things by confessing things differently than we have before. By confessing to someone. I know that's uncomfortable. In fact, we don't really like that. In fact, I, I would go so far to say we read the words from 1 Timothy 2.5 and we, we find these words to be true. And here's these words from 1 Timothy 2.5. For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man, Christ Jesus. Right? Clear, the only person that can really forgive sins is Jesus. But what we begin to find in that is those words, this idea that that's all, he's the one that forgives us, for there is one God, one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus. See, I know you're like me working out with Ernie. You're like, yeah, see, I don't have to confess to anyone. I just have to confess to God, and I'm good. True, not arguing that. But what we begin to find is that when we look into the scriptures deeper, we begin to find all throughout the Bible, there are scenes and moments where we begin to recognize that public confession matters. It's important. In fact, we're going to look at two particular passages today, and the first one's from James 5, verse 16, and here's what James, the brother of Jesus, writes. He says, Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Did you catch that? Therefore, confess your sins one to each other. Oh, I have to tell someone? I, mean, I can't just say, hey, it's between me and Jesus? No, that's kind of what James is saying. That it's not just between me and Jesus. That it probably needs to be greater than that. It needs to be more than that. Because sometimes if that's all it is, we find ourselves um, in places we wish we weren't. When we say it's just private, it's just personal, it's just, it's just between me and God. Sometimes stuff then stays in the darkness and never sees light. And yet when stuff sees light, when sin sees the light of day, once it's drug into the light, it loses its power. Because so often we don't want to confess the stuff that's deepest, darkest, hardest, most shameful for us. And when we don't confess that, it grows in power in our lives. You probably have stories in your own life where that would be true. And so then I come to these words from from Richard Foster that I think are great for us. These words are, are simple, but as we think about this, 
we think about the church and why we don't want to share stuff. And so here's what Richard says. Confession is a difficult discipline for us because we all too often view the believing community as a fellowship of saints before we see it as a fellowship of sinners. We imagine that we are the only ones who have not stepped onto the high road of heaven. Therefore, we hide ourselves from one another and live in veiled lies and hypocrisy. Right? This is what, what the world outside the church sees too often. We don't want to tell people what's really going on. We want to hide it. If we keep it to ourselves, we'll just put a front up, a mask, if you will, and we'll live how we want to live. We'll let people think we are holier than we are because to tell them the real truth, like, frankly, that's, that's no good. And the reason we do that, because fear and pride cling to us like barnacles on a boat, man. It just sticks to us. And in that fear and pride, we never get to the place where we really can go, where God can do this great work in our lives. But when we confess, see, mutual confession leads to healing. It begins to do something in us. And so this is what I want you to hear today. Confession leads to healing, which leads to freedom. Confession leads to healing, which leads to freedom. Don't you want to be free Don't you want the dark things in our lives, the things that keep us from being all God has called us to be, to be released, to not have power in our lives any longer? I love these words of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, and here's what he says. He says, our brother has been given to us to help us. He hears the confession of our sins in Christ's stead, and he forgives our sins in Christ's name. He keeps the secret of our confession, as God keeps it. When I go to my brother to confess, I'm going to God. Right? It's not saying that we don't need to confess to God, but it's saying that sometimes when we go to someone, we begin to see God does this work. This deeper healing can take place. This deeper healing that begins to do a new work in us and through us. And that's what we find is that confession leads us to a deeper place of healing. And before you think, well, I don't think, I don't think someone can forgive me for the sake of God. Like, I don't think they can stand in the gap and do that. That's pretty high and lofty until we read the words of Jesus from John chapter 20. And here's what Jesus says in John chapter 20, verse 21. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. And then these words that that just mess with us. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Did you catch that? I mean, first it begins with Jesus saying, hey, I want to give you my peace and you'll find my peace through your spirit's presence. And then the next thing that happens, frankly, um, I still some level don't know what to do with. But it's as if Jesus knows that when we hear you are forgiven out loud, that often it can be speaking for God for us, right? This this is crazy, this idea that he's going to give us his presence. And, And so I'll just address the part at the end that's hardest for us, right? Like, so we cannot forgive people? Well, it's not like this. It's not where we go, oh, I don't like what you said or how you repented. So I'm not going to say you're forgiven, like we're little kids arguing about things. That's not what Jesus is saying we get to do here. 
What he's saying is this, that when we're in conversation and someone confesses to us, we have opportunity from a place of gentleness and humility to ask them the question, do you really want to change? Do you want to radically live a different life? Because if you do, then know this, you are forgiven. But if you don't really want to change your life, if you want to keep living the life you're living, then know this, you're not forgiven. See, I don't know how many times we think about people doing this. They go, well, I can just ask God for forgiveness and live how I want. I'll just say I'm sorry today and do what I want tomorrow. That's cheap grace. We can't do that. Jesus is actually pretty clear on that. That's hypocrisy at its fullest. And frankly, today, if you think that's what God's calling you to, we need to help reevaluate how we understand who Jesus is in the Gospels. Because Jesus is pretty clear on that. It's like the seed on the rocky soil. That, that's not real for us. And so I want to say this today. I think these words um, might be helpful for us as we think about what's it look like for us to be people who hear the forgiveness of others and listen. And how do we respond when Jesus says we can give words of forgiveness or withhold words of forgiveness? I think these words are helpful for us as we try to articulate that. Anybody who lives beneath the cross and who is discerned in the cross of Jesus, the utter wickedness of all men, of his own heart, find there is no sin that can ever be alien to him. Anybody who has once been horrified by the dreadfulness of his own sin, that nailed Jesus to the cross, will no longer be horrified by even the rankest sins of a brother. Those words from Bonhoeffer are powerful, uh, powerful for us. Did you catch them? We have to look and recognize that even our sin was seen on the cross. And so it puts us in no place where we get to speak over others. But this leads to a question, right? If James says we're to confess one to another, and Jesus says we're to offer forgiveness, then we probably should embrace that as a way of life. But I know, I know, you're like, well, we're not priests. Except Peter tells us that we are the priesthood of all believers. Now, I want to give a caveat today. Uh, we all know people who love Jesus but have the inability of keeping their mouth shut, right? They are pretty good at gossip. They're pretty good at speaking. Now, I want to be clear, if you know someone like that, that's probably not who you should confess to. But if there's someone that when you're in their presence, you sense God's presence, you sense God's love, you sense his hope, then maybe you found someone worth confessing to. Maybe you found someone who can hear your confession and offer you hope in that moment. See, this for us is a spiritual depth that we can get to because confession is important for us. Confession is one of those things that matters because confession leads to freedom. Confession leads to freedom. This is powerful for us. It's one of the things that we don't want to miss. And so I, I was thinking about a story that I wanted to share. And so I, I printed some excerpts because I couldn't find the book. But, but Donald Miller years, years ago wrote a book called Blue Light Jazz. And in the book, there's this scene in which Donald and some friends at this, this pretty secular university in the Northwest defined as itself as secular. And there's this big party, this kind of rave that happens at the end of every year. And so they, um, it was like hedonistic by every definition. And Donald and his friends who were Christians, they said, ah, we can't really participate in that in good conscience, but we want to be a part of the community. How can we do that? And so they're sitting around one night and one of them comes up with the idea, hey, we're going to create a confessional booth. 
a what? A confessional booth. And I know some of you right now are like, yeah, that's right. All those hedonistic people, they need to go to confession. Except then his buddy said, but here's the, here's the catch. They're not going to confess to us. We're going to confess to them. Excuse me? And so some of his friends were like, that's a terrible idea. But other friends were like, that's a great idea. And so here's what was said in that conversation. He said, we're going to confess to them. We're going to confess that as followers of Jesus, we've not been very loving. We've been bitter. And for that, we're sorry. We apologize for the Crusades. We'll apologize for televangelists. Well, that one's kind of hard for me to say because right now I feel like every pastor's a televangelist. I'm sorry, moving on. We'll apologize for neglecting the poor and the lonely. We'll ask them to forgive us and we'll tell them that in our selfishness, we have misrepresented Jesus on this campus. We'll tell people who come into the booth that Jesus loves them. All of us sat there in silence because it was obvious that something beautiful and true had hit the table with a thud. We all thought it was a great idea. We could see it in each other's eyes. It would feel so good to apologize, to apologize for the Crusades, for Columbus and the genocide committed in the Bahamas in the name of God, apologize for the missionaries who landed in Mexico and came up through the West slaughtering Indians in the name of Christ. I wanted so desperately to apologize for the many ways I had misrepresented the Lord. I could feel that I betrayed the Lord by judging, by not being willing to love the people he had loved and only giving lip service to issues of human rights. For so much of my life, I'd been defending Christianity because I thought to admit that we had done any wrong was to discredit the religious system as a whole. But it isn't a religious system. It's people following Christ. And the important thing to do, the right thing to do, was to apologize for getting in the way of Jesus. And then here's part of a a conversation he has with someone who's in the confessional, a guy named Jake. You're confessing to me? Jake said with a laugh. Yeah, we're confessing to you. I mean, I'm confessing to you. You're serious. His laugh turned to something of a straight face. There's a lot, but I'll try to keep it short. I started. Jesus said to feed the poor and to heal the sick. I've never done very much about that. Jesus said to love those who persecute me. I tend to lash out, especially if I feel threatened. You know, if my ego gets threatened. Jesus did not mix his spirituality with politics. I grew up doing that. It got in the way of the central message of Christ. I know that was wrong. And I know that a lot of people will not listen to the words of Christ because people like me who know him carry our own agendas into the conversation rather than just relaying the message of message Christ wanted to get across. There's a lot more, you know. It's all right, man, Jake said very tenderly. His eyes were starting to water. Well, I said, clearing my throat, I'm sorry for all of that. I forgive you, Jake said. And he meant it. Thanks, I told him. He sat there and looked at the floor, then into the fire of a candle, It's really cool what you guys are doing, he said. A lot of people need to hear this. I don't know about you, but I can't help but think that maybe, just maybe, we might need to embrace this idea. He goes on to say, Donald says, I don't know whether to thank you for that or not. I laughed. I have to sit here and confess all my crap. He looked at me very seriously. It's 
worth it, he said. He shook my hand, and when he left the booth, there was somebody else ready to get in. I went like that for a couple of hours. I talked to about 30 people, and his friend Tony took confessions on a picnic table outside the booth. Many people wanted to hug when we were done. All of the people who visited the booth were grateful and gracious. I was being changed through the process. I went in with doubts, and I came out believing so strongly in Jesus, I was ready to die with him. Right, did you catch that? Did you catch this opportunity these guys had, this confession booth, this kind of crazy college idea? It literally changed them. Confession has the possibility of changing our lives. It not only can change us, but it can literally change the world. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? What it might look like if we actually confessed? Can you imagine if we recognize we don't have to put up facades or live lives of hypocrisy, but we could really confess? See, I want you to not miss this line, that this line I think is important, that none of us are too holy that confession should not be a part of our life. None of us are too holy that confession should not be a part of our life. I'm not even saying you have to confess things that are necessarily sin, but just confess temptations or struggles. Those aren't even sins, but the reality is that confession must be a part of our life. Our tradition is founded by a guy named, or come out of a guy named John Wesley, and and he wrote this, Wesley's 21, these 21 questions they ask in their small groups. And I, I'm not going to read them to you today. You can Google them and find them. But, but frankly, they're kind of scary. <laughs> but they recognize that holiness comes through confession. And this new life leads to freedom. And so I want to say today that, that St. Alphonsus gives us really three things to think about. How we should confess well. And so you're going to see a slide that comes up on your screen right now. And here's the slide. I'm just going to talk about these three keys for confession. Number one, an examination of conscience. In other words, it's an invitation to God to point out the areas we need to change. Hey, God, will you help me see where I need to change? And then to actually listen and be obedient and hear what he has to say. Number two, sorrow. And not the kind of sorrow like I'm just grieving that way, but, but not as much as emotion as the idea that we have deep regret at having offended the Father. That we know we have made decisions or done things that we grieve our Father. And number three, determination to avoid sin. In other words, a desire to live a holy life. To live like Jesus. Did you catch that? Those things are important. Those things can change everything. If we're willing to evaluate our life in light of Jesus and his cross, if we're willing to to confess the areas where we know we have fallen short of the love the Father has for us and reflecting that love, and then to say, God, I really want to live a holy life and actually mean it. See, confession is one of the most powerful things that can happen in our lives. It really, truly is. It can literally change everything. Why? Because freedom through forgiveness often comes through public confession. Freedom through forgiveness, finding forgiveness often comes when we publicly confess to someone our need for something. Right, years ago, there was something that was just weighing heavily upon me. Something I had I'd struggled with, I had wrestled with. I, it was just like a weight in my life. And finally, I met with a friend of mine. And we were talking and I just said, I, I just need to share with you something. 
and I confess this deep struggle. And he asked me a pretty simple question in that moment. He said, well, have you confessed to God? I said, yeah, yeah. I mean, I just feel like I need to tell someone, though, because and he said, well, here's the thing. Then, then know this today, you're forgiven. And I still remember that moment. Why? Because there is something powerful that happens when we confess one to another. When we bottle stuff up, it often becomes this kind of weight in our life. It holds us down. It keeps us in bondage and keeps us from knowing God's true freedom and true healing. You know, just like, just like in the weight room with Ernie. Just like how I learned that just because I had done something before, there was a deeper experience I could know. There was a way of doing something differently than I had done before that led to greater change physically. But this, this confession can lead to a greater change spiritually. Because this invitation to this deeper life, this deeper knowing of God, can change us in such a way that we really do live from a place of love, that we can know God's goodness and God's grace in greater ways. So I hope you'll hear these words. Honesty leads to confession, and confession leads to change. Honesty leads to confession, and confession leads to change. Don't you want to live a changed life? No, you and I want to live in such a way that we know God's goodness, the fullness of his love, that we live with freedom because confession leads to freedom. Today, right now, maybe for you, this needs to be your challenge. One, you probably need to confess to God something. We all often find ourselves in that place. And two, maybe there's something in your life you've been carrying for so long that you need to let go of. And you need to hear the words, you are forgiven. And you might need to go to someone who you can confess. Because at the end of the day, what I know to be true, not just because it's true in my life, but because I know it's true in so many others' lives, that confession leads to freedom. This is spiritual practice. This is training we should all embrace. You pray with me. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to gather in these moments. We pray that we would confess to you and to one another in such a way that the world might actually be changed. That as Christians, we might not be ashamed to share our struggle and recognize that it's often shame and guilt and fear and pride that keep us from confession. But true freedom, true hope, true change come when we're willing to declare the areas in which we know we need you. And we often probably need a brother or sister to walk alongside us. As a father... Help us to become more and more your people. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to mention again today that you can go to our website. If you have questions of what's it look like for me to be someone someone confesses to, or how can I do this more, or what do I do to embrace this? On our website, website our prompts, um, they're available for you under the spring training tab. I hope you'll take advantage of that. We look forward to connecting next week, both online and in person. And so we'll see you then. We love you. May you go in God's grace and peace and love.